Bienvenidos. This is a podcast that explores Latinx media and culture in its many forms. I am Dr. Rojo Robles. And I am Dr. Rebecca Elsalois. And we are Latinx and Latin American Studies professors at Baruch College in New York City. In this podcast, we will analyze Latinx film, television, literature, art, and cultures. We will consider how these works are perceived, analyze them, and investigate the real-world reflections and implication of that work on Latinx cultures in the U.S. and beyond. Welcome to Latinx Visions. Welcome back. We hope you're enjoying your summer. As we're taking a break from new content between semesters, we decided that now would be a great time to release a couple of student episodes again. The next two episodes will include content created by Baruch College students from both the fall 2020 and spring 2021 semesters. The courses represented in the content we'll be sharing today come from LTS 1003, Latin America, an Institutional and Cultural Survey, and LTS 3110, Debates in Latin American Social Theory. For these classes, and the classes that will be represented in the next episode, we each offer students the option of completing a podcast episode for their final project. Other options might include a paper, a video, or a social media-based project, depending on the course. Since students are assigned to listen to podcasts throughout the semester, they grow accustomed to what they sound like, and this helps them plan out how they want to present their own research in this medium. For some of the students, creating a podcast was something they had never done before, and we are proud of them for stepping outside of their comfort zones and trying something new. At the end of the semester, we asked students who submitted a podcast episode for their permission to share their research on this platform. The students you will hear on the following two episodes are those that gave us that permission. This week, we will be presenting two longer student projects, and next week, there will be four. The students' work is presented as they created it with very minimal editing for sound levels and similar such issues. We have not edited them for content. In this particular episode, we feature projects by LTS 3110 student Jacqueline Ortiz and LTS 1003 students Abigail Garcia Vasquez, Arleth Robles, and Nina Rodas. First up will be Jacqueline's episode, which considers, in her words, Blackness and whiteness and their role in creating and permeating through the Afro-diasporic ecology. She'll be analyzing Achille Membe's book, Critique of Black Reason, and Araceli Skirme's essay, From Woe to Wonder, as part of her project. This will be followed by Abigail Arleth and Nina's study on La Regla de Ocha, or Santeria. In particular, they'll be discussing how this Afro-Caribbean religion is represented in the media by looking at the song Aguanile and Season 2, Episode 7 of the show, She's Gotta Have It. So with just those brief introductions, we'll now let the students speak for themselves. Please enjoy their analyses and discussions. Hello, hello. Hola, hola, familia. Welcome. My name is Jacqueline Ortiz, and this is Debates in Latin American Social Theory. On today's podcast, we will be exploring the concepts of blackness, 
and whiteness and their role in creating and permeating through the Afro-diasporic ecology. For this discussion, we will be debating the viewpoints of Akila Membe as delivered in The Subject of Race from his book, Critique of Black Reason, where Membe, as a philosopher, offers a philosophical insight into the history of Euromodernity as being one and the same with the history of blackness. And we will also be responding with the perspective offered by Aracelis Hidmai in her essay, From Woe to Wonder, where she proposes very poetically through her experiences with her children that it is time for a paradigm shift. We need to preserve our Afro-diasporic ecology and shine a spotlight on whiteness, allowing for whiteness to take responsibility for the ecological crisis it has created. I have to say, I am really excited to be discussing these works by Aracelis Hidmai and Akile Membe tonight as two great creators and thinkers of our time. I think that this is a very robust conversation that is about time that we start having with each other. Um, and with our communities, um, blackness and whiteness are definitely um, uncomfortable topics, but we have to kind of keep in mind who it is that these topics uh, make uncomfortable. Um, the complexities of blackness and whiteness or race and racial classification are not lost on me. As an American woman of indigenous Caribbean ancestry, I'm Dominican and Cuban, or my parents are, right, with brother roots in, in Europe and Africa. Um, I've always been racially classified somehow. Um, I can never just be an American woman, right? Um, wherever I go, it's, you know, different classifications. And I've been classified or called names and things like mutt, mongrel, mestiza, criolla, high yellow, mulata, biracial, multiethnic, Latina, and Hispanic. And all of these classifications, all, all of these categorizations, all, all that they mean to me is you are not white. And sometimes I feel that they mean you are not fully American, even though I was born in this country. Um, I am constantly grappling with that. And, and why is that so complicated? What am I? Um, my skin is lighter, but I, I, these are my origins. And so we often feel displaced. And this is how the Afro-Disparic community across the globe feels constantly and sometimes in a more violent way. Um, so we already live with this discomfort constantly. So it's time to it's time to have the uncomfortable conversations, I feel like. Um, and that's the only way that that we may be able to finally understand um, these concepts and these ideologies and, and where they come from as a whole, because race wasn't invented as a set of beliefs and attitudes about human variations. It has nothing to do with the biological variation itself. You can have many societies with great diversity and physical features without the idea of race. Race represents attitudes and beliefs about human differences and not those differences themselves. So when we think about race generally, we always look at people of color, right? So 
in reality, the idea of race was created simultaneously with the concept of whiteness, to which all other racial groups or all other groups of people um, were then compared. And so whiteness is racial domination normalized. And this normalization produces and reproduces and has produced and reproduced in many cultural, political, and economic social advantages and privileges for white people. And it withholds then such advantages and privileges from non-white people. And these are kind of like the concepts of whiteness and blackness that have spread across the globe, even in communities that even in countries and, and places across the world that were never colonized, that never had enslaved Africans. So it's it's contrary to, to the popular belief that race was a product of slavery, um, when in fact it's whiteness that in that in effect established white supremacy that that race came to be. I think something really important that Akila Membe offers in his in his book is that any effort at defining the ideology of blackness historically entails a process of excavation, of having to pay careful attention to the multiple ways in which this rhetoric of blackness has been built and deployed. And so this is a necessary step in the process of unpacking and dismantling the scaffolded structures that build upon each other to support many racial constructs over the years, including whiteness and blackness or race and self, as I said before, um, because race and racism have played such a big role and maybe the leading role in how Euromodernity was was organized. And so however much the world might have benefited from modernity, what is unavoidable is the integral role that blackness has played in the construction of modernity. And so it's it's of utmost importance that we examine this aspect of, of modernity as it continues to exclude subjects and create new and old victims that are, as Akila Memba says, the wretched of the earth. There's an excerpt from his book where he says, race operating over the past centuries as a fundamental category that is at once material and phantasmic has been at the root of catastrophe the cause of extraordinary physical destruction and of innumerable crimes and massacres. And so for him, the construction of race emanates from, from the symbolic. It, it accounts for the ways in which blackness or black persons, um, Afro-diasporic communities live and where they live. And it, it kind it explains the kinds of debates that, that it prohibits or, or allows them to lead, to have to lead meaningful lives. You know, and I consider myself a radical optimist, but it is also important not to lose track of the traumatic conditions that have been created by the African diaspora. In the history of racialized slavery and racialized violence that have been introduced to both our human and non-human ecology. And I think that this is what Membe gets at by saying that 
the scaffolding, the scaffolding of the way that that race and blackness and whiteness was created one on top of each other that continuously holds us down. We must be able to understand this, right? Because this was in, in many ways put through through the age of enlightenment and, and reason, right? Like to justify, you know, the, the this treatment, this mistreatment was the, the justification was subjugation and and rele relegating these non-whites to uh, to the status of other. And so I think that that this is this is a very important thing to understand that it is not anything inherent right within us within the African diaspora community it is not about blackness it is it is about the need for white superiority and so as Akila Memba says until we have eliminated racism from our current lives and imagination we will have to continue to struggle for the creation of a world beyond race but to achieve it to sit down at a table to which everyone has been invited, we must undertake an exacting political and ethical critique of racism and the ideologies of difference. So this challenges us to undo our exclusionary thinking so that we may, as Akila Membe also says, restore the humanity stolen from those who have historically been subjected to processes of abstraction and objectification. Wow, that is so powerful. So how do we restore the humanity and the ecology stolen? I think to this end, Araceli Sirmai in Wota Wonder gives a great response when she writes, when a white person with a white child points to my child, even lovingly as an example of a black life who matters, I would also like that person to teach their white child about white life and white history and about how they're going to have to work really hard to make sure that they're not taking up more air, more space, more sidewalk, because they have been taught wrongly that the world is more theirs. I'd like to give my five-year-old words so that when he is told George Floyd was killed because his skin was brown, he's able to say something like, well, actually, there's an idea called whiteness, and some people think they're better and deserve more of everything because they're white and their ancestors are from Europe. Their ancestors hurt people and hurt the land to get the power that they gave to their children and that their children keep keeping and keep using to hurt even today. Even as she delivers this empowered idea, Araceli Grimai in the end asks, isn't that terrible? You know, in a rhetoric way, but it's that it's still that humanity, right? In her writing or in, in the thought of, of all of us of, isn't it terrible that children would have to be confronted with this idea? It's this idea of resistance of, from white parents that don't want their children to be taught CRT in school, which really just means like the true history of, of America, the whole they shouldn't be exposed to this brutality. White children shouldn't have to grow up feeling guilty. But it's okay for Tamir Rice to not only grow up with with this violence and, and, and feeling this brutality and feeling this guilt of blackness, but he also got murdered 
at 12 years old by a police officer that couldn't even be bothered to get out of his car to shoot his weapon. And so isn't that terrible? And so even with these things happening, framing blackness by only the systemic violence of the past, from slavery to peonage, convict leasing, convict labor, and even more in the present by police brutality, and all of that. All of these things are true and important in the way that Aquila Membe reference, references them as well as to establish a historic archive of, of the creation of blackness. But the way in which we frame it, it perpetuates the problem. It ignores whiteness. White people are all taught to ignore their whiteness through the systems of power that makes it easier to be, to be white. So we make it easier for them to avoid having uncomfortable conversations. So I think that what Arcelis Gidmai is getting at is that it is time for us to kind of dismantle that frame and, and create our own based, based on our truth, based on our true ancestry. The Western Hemisphere, Euro modernity, was founded on stolen land built through the labor of stolen lives and the destruction of ecosystems. So yes, our black and indigenous futures have been and are now being persecuted, but we can always find refuge in our ecology of freedom. And another thing that Araceli Sirmay reference is a story um, of one of the strategies of petite maronage for enslaved people was to go into the tops of, of tree trunks and find finding it and, and keeping a refuge there. And so she says to this, it occurs to me that what I right now want for my children is to equip them with fight and armor and space for dreaming in the long, constant work of our trying to get free. I, who even while under the most unimaginable duress, had the mind to find and keep refuge in the trees. And this is speaking to us creating spaces of freedom for ourselves, for our children, for the future where we can have this idea that we can free ourselves, free our minds from this slavery of thinking, this slavery of blackness, and take it, right, that from, from woe to wonder, as, instead, as opposed to from wonder to woe. And so she says, to help them move even in their woe toward wonder, to resist the seal of a sentence so complete and to find in the syntax, opening through, so unto a ground of their own dreaming, again and again they alight. Whew, so let's be radical optimists and project our Afro-diasporic and indigenous futures into the light. Um, let's have hope. I, I love this message from Araceli Sirmay. And in the same turn, Akila Membe says, the idea that in every human subject there is something indomitable and fundamentally intangible that no domination, no matter what form it takes, can eliminate, contain, or suppress, at least not completely. 
and that's what it is. We need to always shine the light and continue that hope, not give in to the despair and challenge our normative ways of thinking. Let's not give in to the despair. Let's not give in to the subjugation. Let's not give in to the supremacy. What if instead we choose to see things from woe to wonder? What if we chose differently? What if we chose to be innovators? What if we chose to disrupt the habitual order of thinking and challenge the narrative? How powerful can we be? I want to thank Akila Membe and Araceli Sidmai, as well as Professor Rojo Robles from the Black and Latino Studies Department at Baruch College for providing me with the inspiration for this podcast tonight. Thank you for listening. My name is Jacqueline Ortiz, and this was Debates in Latin American Social Theory. Hello and welcome to Latinas Communicating, where today we will be looking at La Regla de Ocho, also known as Santeria, an Afro-Caribbean religion that has faced much discrimination, but is becoming more mainstream thanks to an increase in Latinx representation in the media. My name is Abigail. My name is Nina. And my name is Arlad. And we will be taking a look at Aguanile by Mark Anthony, originated by Hector Lavoe, and an episode in a show directed by Spike Lee called She's Gotta Have It. We're going to start off this podcast with what Santeria is. So I'll pass it on to Nina to get us started. So as Abby mentioned, La Regla de Ocha, or Santaria, is an Afro-Caribbean religion derived from the Yoruba Lukumi religion that grew out of the slave trade in colonial Cuba. And I read a journal by Christina Ritz, and she mentioned the fact that despite it being an Afro-Cuban religion, today its followers span class, race, and religion. If you were to mention Santeria to someone, I'm pretty sure like the first thing they would think is, oh, my God, like this is voodoo or that Santeria is something from the devil. And it's always seen as something that's like bad or devilish. But a lot of people don't know the background of it. Santeria back then was a way for enslaved people to find answers during these tough times. And it became something that was done in secret. The author Pin Anthony B mentions in his book how as clubs got disbanded in the late 19th century, Santeria became something that was done in private homes without connection to strict national standing. And it's something that makes me upset to think that all these other religions are accepted, but Santeria is something that has to be done in silence. And it went from being something that was basically sacred to where it is now represented in music and even TV shows. And I think it's important that you mentioned that this religion has to be practiced in silence because although audiences do see it in a negative light, it's crucial to understand that, as Nina mentioned, this is a religion that has roots among enslaved Africans and helped get through tough times, like helped them get through tough times. It was a community and it gave way, it gave slaves a way to cope with the brutality of slavery, um, which I would say needs to be seen in a positive light, especially since, in my opinion, Christianity, a religion that provides community to like most of the Western hemisphere, it's like in a way demonized this sacred religion of Santeria just because it sounds like Satan. I agree. And I also think that brings up like a really important part um, of the fact that Christianity and 
Catholicism were deliberately used to demonize um, this religion because they were used as tools to control enslaved people. Taking a look into current media representation, Aguanile, sung by Mark Anthony. As a side note, he did a cover of Hector Lavoe's Aguanile. Um, but back to my point, this song is considered new, but it's taken the Latinx community by storm. And I would say it's almost become a cultural staple because so many people have heard it for like generations, either it be Hector Lavoe or Mark Anthony. And I think it's just plain irony. And I, I know Nina mentioned this earlier, how it's so influential because you can't have salsa without centria. It's like a part of it. And if you take it away, you just have colonialism. But speaking of colonialism, I I think I learned a little bit more about Santeria and I saw that it's actually a mix of Catholicism and the Yoruba religion, the Kumi. Um, but I read this article and I saw this quote and I believe it was by Nathaniel Morell. And he mentions Afro-American religions use symbol, like their symbolic universe is literally based on technical gestures and material transactions to the extent that some define them as material religions. And I was like, does this relate to Santeria? And I read this quote and I automatically related it to Aguanilla because this song is literally telling people to cleanse themselves. And it's a take on Christianity's holy water, which as I mentioned, it's like Yoruba religion Lukumi mixed with Catholicism. Um, and it's just so literal, like, gosh, you know? Um, there's also the mention of Mai Mai, and I looked it up and it meant praising Ogun, which is a god of Santeria, if you don't know. But it also meant water, so that interchangeability and that duality was very interesting to see, especially when you think about how a lot of times there's such a negative outlook on Santeria, and just this song is based off of Santeria, like the religion and practical, technical gestures, like cleansing yourself, and it's just very literal. So speaking of um, Aguanille and Mai Mai, uh, Mark Anthony says this certain line over and over again throughout the whole song. Um, he says, Aguanille, Aguanille, Mai Mai. And um, listening to the song, like, without knowing what it meant, had me, like, super confused. But Aguan stands for cleansing and Ige stands for house. And I also heard that Mai was supposed to stand for water, but the proper word for it is Omi. And um, I feel like in a way, I'm guessing it's saying, like, cleanse the house or yourself. You know, and I thought it was super interesting, like how <clears throat> growing up, I constantly listened to the song in my house with because I live in a household with Hispanic parents. And no, like literally. we would we would constantly like, you know, like clean to the song and a lot of other salsa songs that also like mention, you know, Santeria and stuff. And <clears throat> I just think it's ironic how like, you know, I used to sing the song and like so did my mom and I once did like I think of the meaning or even what I was singing until I searched it up. And I think it's pretty funny because a lot of Hispanics are like that. Like the fact that like they'll listen to this type of song and especially since it's a popular salsa song and like knowing what it says, but still be like, yeah, like somebody is wrong or it's something from the devil, which I just think is really crazy to think about. Say I agree. And I think it's interesting that even subconsciously, you know, whether you realize it or not, like you said, like this is something that is just like on in your house growing up, cleaning and doing all of those things. And it's funny because this the song has become a very popular song to use when performing cleansing and purification rituals involving water and the cleansing of the home and your body and surroundings. So I think that's really neat. Yeah, and I just to kind of add to what you were saying, I or like bring it back to Catholicism and kind of cleansing yourself. 
I think it's very interesting that, <laughs> sorry, I think it's very interesting that a lot of people are like you mentioned that think that Santeria is wrong and it's from the devil. And it's just funny because it's literally a mix and Catholicism has such an impact on this religion. But at the same time, it's just how is something that is so popular like Catholicism? Almost every Latina I know has had a history with Catholicism, are Catholic or some type of Christian. So I feel like it's just so weird when you see rituals that are done in Catholicism in Santeria and yet it's still something that's ostracized or like seen as like not a real religion. It definitely like in, in the song it mentions like like the three nails on the cross and like it talks about like aguanilla is kind of like it sounds like kind of like a like cleansing yourself like you know the same thing that you would do with like holy water or whatever if you were a like christian so i just think it's really interesting like how you know it's something that is frowned upon but like you know it's a mix of two different religions you know and it's kind of like you know giving you know giving them kind of what they want you know considering that like this you know the Spanish were like trying to, um, they were trying to, you know, convert them into a different religion. And then considering that, like, they kind of, you know, added some of that religion into their own religion. I feel like it should be something that is way more accepted since, you know, it's like kind of a mixture. But I, for some reason, it's something that because they're doing these stuff in there, it's kind of like something that they found to like cope. It's seen as like, you know, bad or because of the you know in the name it says you know santaria and it's kind of like you know satan or whatever i feel like it's not just because of a name it shouldn't be something that's you know frowned upon yeah i definitely agree and i think just like one more addition and then i'll be down i swear um but like it's been hinted at over throughout this podcast but i it's important to mention that it's such a double standard um we can listen to music that has it like aguanile that has like speaking of Santeria and kind of almost represents it in a way. And yet at the same time, if you mention it in a Latina community, it's either very like, oh, what, what you doing? Like, you know, or it's related to like brujeria, like witchcraft. Um, I just think it's very, it's very double standard. So I think it's just important that we mention like from the get go, this is, a, it's a double standard because people can enjoy it in like media, like songs, like Aguanile, but yet when it actually comes to real life and real life practicing, it's kind of shot away from. And I think you mentioned that a little bit, Arla and Nina. I love that you brought that up because I, I think it brings up an important um, topic of, that's kind of, uh, I guess was kind of the goal of demonizing it, you know, like by the Spanish and the European, um, colonizers if you will that came over because if even today you know like but one of the ways that enslaved people were controlled like i said earlier was through religion but also like being taught to hate yourself and everything that you are and i think when you teach someone to hate themselves and their own religious practices like that gets passed down hence today the taboo so i love that you bring that up hashtag generational trauma so speaking of hashtag generational trauma, let's get into hashtag oh, you don't know, which is the title of episode seven of season two of the TV show, She's Gotta Have It, that's created and directed by Spike Lee. And um, in this episode, there's a specific focus on Santeria 
in Puerto Rico because the main cast members travel to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria to help. Um, some of the main characters have family there and rebuild. And one of the things that I really, really love about this episode was the way that um, Stephanie was portrayed. I feel like oftentimes, like we've mentioned before, it's portrayed as very evil in media, in movies. Um, people are either seen as like crazy or evil if they practice it. Um, but in this episode, it's not demonized at all. And it actually serves as a like major plot point or plot device, I should say, for the main characters. And it's portrayed as something very beautiful and something that is used to awaken the main character, Nola Darling. Um, and kind of like set her back back on a positive path when it comes to her art, since she's an artist. Um, and even just the way the episode is shot, it's very aesthetically pleasing. And I feel like that was purposefully done because it doesn't ever feel scary or really like any of the taboo things you've been taught to feel about the religion. It feels very welcoming and honestly beautiful and comforting almost and I think that was very intentional in the way that it was shot and represented throughout the episode yeah I definitely agree with that Nina like just watching like the episode alone like seeing how like you know how many times it's just like you know just kind of thrown in there and it's something like you know somebody who you know doesn't practice it or like thinks like bad about it or whatever would see it as like how are they talking about this like so naturally like it's something that's like normal or whatever it should be something that is normal but in this like in this episode specifically i feel like they really portray that besides like um one of the main characters mars who like you know says that his mother is talking crazy talk or whatever but besides that like i feel like it really is you know something that is normalized and like there's a specific scene that i want to talk about um in the episode where like there's this quote that i read from this author named paul humphrey what he mentions in one of his books where he says in santeria voodoo and related religious traditions the body serves as a conduit through which the spiritual and physical planes intersect and I was just like relating it back to the scene because in the scene they're like all at a beach like all the main characters and like the like these these people playing instruments and playing music and they're all singing and like um dancing and like a circle and it looked like kind of like a sort of a, a spiritual expression for the main character um Nola and they were all dancing around in the sand and Nola goes towards like the water and has like this little moment where it looks as if like a, a spirit or something kind of went through her, like kind of like she's possessed. And it looks kind of like she found herself in a way because like she's smiling and stuff and looking up at the air. And when people hear possessed, they automatically connect it to like demons and et cetera and the devil. But like being possessed doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could also just be a good spirit kind of going through you or just kind of like a spiritual awakening and like she looked really free in a way and like super happy which I thought was like kind of a character development for her and yeah I think like the quote in Paul's book is really like represented in this scene. I love that you bring that up because um I also read in one of the journals um by uh, Aisha Beliso de Jesus she talks about something 
that they call co-presences, which are basically Orisha spirits and like familial ancestors that will be around your being or within yourself, within your bodies. And the idea and kind of like a thought process behind these co-presences emerged, um, obviously during slavery in Cuba as a way for the enslaved population to cope and find, I guess, um, an inner strength um, through the brutality that they were living through and kind of embodies this like idea of endurance and a way of reckoning with racial issues and marginalization, which I find interesting because I think the re-emergence or the growing popularity of this religion today has a lot to do with the same thing. I think today a lot of people are dealing with, you know, brutality in a modern way with marginalization and issues of racism. And I think that's an interesting point because like I was saying, a lot of people have flocked back or are discovering this religion now due to dealing with those same issues. And I think the main character in this episode, Nola, darling, is dealing with a lot of these issues and a lot of you know, wanting to find a spiritual awakening. And she's kind of like, by this episode in this season, she's burnt out, she's tired. She doesn't really know what direction she's going in and what the co-presences and the kind of like possession you were talking about, Arleth, did for um, enslaved people in Cuba during colonialism, it is doing for Nola in that scene as well. Just speaking, just adding on to that, and in that scene, just a little bit more, if you watch a little bit more of it, there's a part where a young a young girl comes in and start up, she starts dancing and kind of guiding um, Nola. And I think it's beautiful. And, and Nina, you speak about co-presence. And I think that this little girl is a symbol for kind of like that presence of a spirit um, because the way that she guides her is very emotional. It's very impressive. And I, I think that it's important to note that, especially since there was like, you guys both mentioned there's such a positive light on Santeria and how it creates a comfort instead of something that's demonic, um, which we hear a lot of. Uh, and it just like the little girl was a symbol. And I think it was a symbol of light and kind of just ha having that comforting moment because Nola in the episode is kind of lost and she doesn't know what to do with her art. And I feel like, Nina, you mentioned a lot of people are lost right now, especially with the political environment today. And just having that comfort and having a, a spirit come to you and you physically feeling it and Nola feels it in this moment. She's like, she's like going through it. Um, and I think that it's important to have kind of like that comfort. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Not to interrupt you, but I definitely agree with that because like, and, the, and like towards that, that's exact scene that I was mentioning. Like she talks about like Mars comes up to her and like, I, you know, talk, was talking to her and she mentions how she has to go back to Brooklyn to like, you know, because she was struggling with the whole, like her whole like art journey and stuff. And I think like that definitely plays to like how she kind of found herself in a way or like, you know, was finding herself in a way because now she didn't know what to do or whatever. She didn't know exactly how to go about the whole art thing. And then like she mentions how she has to go back to do her art and stuff like that. And I think it just like it really just ties all of that in together. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think um, TV episodes and movies and things like this are part of the reason why people um, are 
you know, rediscovering or discovering for the first time this religion because it's um, important that we see different practices and things that our own ancestors, ancestors may have done in a positive light. And I think, you know, even just a few years ago when we were little, we would not have seen it portrayed this way. And so I think it's real progress that this episode exists and on Netflix at that. This brings us to our conclusion where we just want to restate that we believe that Regla de Ocha, or as mentioned earlier, the, the Yoruba religion, Lukumi, is an Afro-Caribbean religion that faces negativity in real life. But it plays such a huge and integral part in Caribbean culture, meaning music, TV, movies, you name it, there's a reflection of Santeria in it. And most of the time, it's bad. In Cuba, uh, Santeria, and this is a paraphrasing of a journal that I read um, by Dominic Horsfall and Katarina Keretzi, um, Santeria was a way to find meaning and divine reality that could answer the contradictions and miseries of life's hopelessness among oppressed peoples. And we've recently seen how Santeria is becoming once again a positive light within the Latinx community and how media plays a big role in deciding whether Santeria is good or bad. As Abby mentioned, the Santeria plays a really big part in Latin culture and you can definitely see it represented in music. TV shows, etc. Like there's literally proof of it everywhere. Like in Aguanille, mentioning the god of Orgung and cleansing and all the different journals and books that we mentioned that explain Santeria further, as well as the episode seven and she's gotta have it, how it sheds a positive light, like Abby mentioned, on the religion and shows us more how deeply rooted in the Latinx community Santeria is. After researching this religion, it is very clear that media plays a huge role in how we view and practice religion. And hopefully with the rise of positive representation in media, we will continue to decolonize our mind around ideas of religion. And that concludes the first episode of Latinos Communicating, the rise of Santeria using Latinx representation in media. Thank you for listening. Credits to Arleth Robles, Abigail Garcia Vasquez, and me, Nina Rodas for being a part of this passion project. And huge shout out to Abigail for audio editing. Thank you, Professor Solois, for this opportunity to speak on a topic we think is crucial to today's environment. And everyone have the day you deserve. Thanks again to our students for being willing to share their work and contributing to this special episode. Join us again next week when we'll share a few more student projects. Beginning in September, we'll be back with fresh episodes by Rojo and myself. This season, we'll be prioritizing queer Latinidades. In the meantime, let us know what you think. Share your thoughts with us. You can always reach out to us on social media or by email. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Latinx Visions. And our email address is latinxvisions at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or honestly, wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family. And if you have a moment, please consider leaving us a review. Thanks again for listening. Hasta la próxima. Hasta la próxima.